Hi, and welcome to episode three of Close to the Bones. I'm Casey Pearson. Again, I'm a traditional midwife in southern Utah. And today I just want to talk about something really cool that I witnessed a few weeks ago. So a few weeks ago, I was witness to a really, really cool birth. But I really just want to talk about the baby's transition. So there are a lot of misconceptions out there, mostly based on fear about how a baby should transition from womb to world. And there are times when babies need a little bit of extra help, uh, but there are also a lot of times where the extra help that we can give them is just time and peace. So we never really had research done on what happens if you leave a baby alone when they're still attached to the cord and still getting all the blood and oxygen from the placenta and all of these other things that happen when birth is left alone. We just kind of started doing things without really thinking about it. Most obstetric practices have never been researched. They are just something that we do because either it's available or we're scared of the alternative or we're in a rush or well, there are so many different things that happen based on very little detail, honestly. Like I've um, been to births in the hospital where you um, tell them you want to wait until the cord stops pulsing and as soon as 60 seconds hits, they tell you that it's done and then they clamp it. Now, yes, 60 seconds is better than them clamping as soon as the baby is out or even before the baby is out. There are a lot of situations with especially like a nuchal cord where the cord is around the baby's neck that they will cut the cord immediately when that happens so that way the baby can get out even though it is just as easy to somersault the baby out, even with a short cord. So yes, 60 seconds is better than zero seconds, but why is 60 seconds seen as this wonderful thing? Because now we allow you to keep your baby's cord connected for 60 seconds before we rush them to the other side of the room to get them clean and weighed and measured and all of these other things instead of placing the baby on you and just seeing what happens. Like even in births where the babies are doing well, um, I've seen them take those babies away because, oh, well, they weren't doing well before. So now we need to take them away. Even though they're breathing, their APGARs are nine and 10. It It's frustrating. And considering that most of all of this stuff has only been in the last 60, 70 years. It's baffling to me. Like in the beginning of the 1900s, which is only 119 years ago, 99% of births took place at home. Like it, you didn't leave your house. And yeah, we didn't really have hospitals then either. Or we didn't have very clean hospitals and most physicians were fighting to get birth in the hospital, but it was a lot harder. And then by the 1950s, 99% of births were in the hospital, not in home. So in, an, in one generation, we had birth going from the hands of midwives to the hands of obstetricians. And there really wasn't 
a big reason for it. Infant mortality actually rose with moving into the hospital from being at home. More babies died in the hands of obstetricians than in the hands of midwives at home. But because of the effective smear campaigns and the lobbying and the money from the AMA, it happened. And in the United States, it has been very hard to go back to a point where we not only trusted the process, but we understood that there were things about the process we would never understand. Like, it's fighting tooth and nail to get nothing. And the nothing that we are fighting for is these minuscule little experiences like going from immediate cord clamping to what they consider delayed cord clamping at 60 seconds which I consider premature cord clamping unless there is a reason no cord should be cut until geez at mo at like the earliest 15 or 20 minutes after birth but I've seen cords that weren't cut ever and you can have a lotus birth even then without um anyone having any issue with it. So going from, oh, well, this is what we used to do to this is what we do now and look at how lenient we're being. It's not a win. It's a compromise because they know they're still winning. Like we are getting these tiny, tiny, tiny little adjustments. And instead of still fighting for the things that we know babies need, we are happy with the small improvements and it needs to be better. So in the sense of a newborn's transition and how things happen, babies live in a water-filled sack in the uterus. And when they are born, sometimes the sac is broken before or breaks on its own before. Sometimes it breaks as the baby is coming out. Sometimes they're born completely in their sac and it needs to be broken. Um, Like there are lots of variations in this, but you are going from a baby that was in a water environment, a baby that did not have oxygen in their lungs, a baby that did not have blood flow to their lungs. Everything was bypassed because they did not need them. They are going from that environment to immediately being asked to switch over their body's entire circulatory system, the way their entire body functions from this water environment to an air environment. And most babies will do that seamlessly within seconds, but some babies won't. And so when did it become an idea that for the baby to make this transition, we need to rush it along? Like when do we decide that this baby is also... So instead of having this experience with another human being, we have taken control of it to say that the way that it is being done isn't good enough, that this baby that has to adjust from water to air isn't doing well enough. This baby that 
pretty much created themselves, created the way that their body functions, created their nerves and their bones and their organs. They made this perfect system of placenta to baby and working with the pregnant person's body, like all of these intricate things that we have absolutely no control over, all of a sudden when they're out, they won't know how to do any of that, even though it's instinctual, even though their body was created to do that once it hit air. And instead of seeing how that situation would play out, we decided to control it instead. And a big part of that is simply because of fear. If a baby doesn't breathe right away, it's scary. There is never a situation where you will be at a birth and a baby comes out not breathing and you won't go, oh, okay, do I need to do anything? Is this bad? Is this baby okay? Am I okay if this baby isn't okay? Going through the entire list in your head of what is normal versus what isn't normal. And no matter how many births you see, no matter how many times you see a baby come out without breathing in the first 30 seconds, it is so unique to each baby that you can't have a universal routine that can be done because some babies will need something else and some babies will just need time and some babies will need to be rubbed and suctioned and breathed for and some babies don't ever need any of that they just want to look around they want to take in their atmosphere before their body switches over to air and that's part of where the cord clamping comes in if your baby is still attached to a cord and that cord is still pulsing why are we freaking out that the baby isn't breathing on its own 10, 15, 30 seconds after they're born? If they are still getting oxygen from the cord, if the, the placenta is still attached to the uterus, if they are still getting blood, if that cord is still beautiful and thick and pulsing, then why is it an immediate danger that a baby isn't immediately breathing oxygen and crying? It's one of those things that not necessarily baffles me, but intrigues me. How did we get to the point where a baby, where, which through all of human history has been able to transi- transition beautifully without someone sticking tubes down their throat or suctioning out their nose and mouth or any of the other things that happen, how did we get from the point where A baby can do all that to all of a sudden, we don't think a baby can anymore. Is it because we truly don't believe they can? Or does it have more to do with the fact that we're scared? We aren't mermaids. You can say that babies are mermaids, but us other living people, adults, children, toddlers, teens, all of that, none of them are mermaids. We don't have to go from water to air in 30 seconds because our body is already accustomed to that. So are we treating newborn babies like they are us? Is that the crux of it? Or is it just that we think babies don't have the instincts 
or the intelligence or the spirit to be able to transition without our help. I have seen resuscitations that are absolutely necessary. I have seen babies that have come out completely limp and there nothing was happening. I have seen cords that come out white and limp. I have seen cords that come out beautiful and plump and I have seen resuscitations that did not need to happen. And I think the biggest factor between all of it is we are treating each baby not as an individual, but as the same as every other baby we have ever seen. Because maybe we have seen a baby that came out looking like that that did end up having trouble five, ten minutes later. So we're scared that that's going to happen again. Or maybe we see a lot of babies that come out not well. And so if a baby even has a hint that maybe they aren't well, then we immediately jump in. Or maybe it's just how we're trained. We're trained as birth workers and birth professionals to jump in if a baby looks like they are not doing well a minute after birth that's why the apgar system was invented like you give a baby a ranking based on this system that yes some babies will need some serious help but how many other babies get a lower ranking on this simply because they're in shock they just came out of a warm, wet, comforting environment where it wasn't bright, it wasn't cold, there weren't lots of big noises, there there wasn't all of this outside everything, and so they were able to, like, in there, they could take their time, but once they're out, it's it's like walking from a dark room into a bright room. You, you kind of are in shock as of an, an adult. You, your eyes need to adjust. You kind of are taken back. So why are we not given that same, giving that same uh, grace, I guess, is to a baby? Why are we not giving them the time to get their body to adjust? So that brings me into... A really cool thing that I saw a few weeks ago so this baby came out and they were swimming in the water and it was beautiful and wonderful and just watching them look around with their eyes before the rest of their body came out and the way they'd move their hand and so many other things and then bringing them up into the water and they just kept looking like they were calm their lips were puckered they were trying to swallow the stuff in their mouth they came out pretty quickly and so a lot of times there's just a little bit more things to do but the air in the room the energy in the room not one single person panicked yes we were at home and everyone that was there understood the importance of the transition moment but Even with this baby that at two minutes after birth wasn't breathing, not one person worried. And and it made me wonder, is the energy that we project the moment a baby comes out important to their transition? If 
we have bright lights and lots of noise and it's colder in that room and so many other things. If we have all of that because we need to make sure the baby's okay, we are also bringing that energy of, is this baby going to be okay? Does that affect the way a baby transitions? If I walk into a room, say someone threw a surprise party um, for someone, for you, like someone throws a surprise party, you, you're shocked, you gasp, your heart beats faster, you have a hard time getting more breaths in. Like if we have that same energy when a baby comes out of a uterus, why are we surprised when babies have a longer transition phase? And even if that baby did need a longer transition phase, why are we not giving them that time? Why are we not giving them the same decency and understanding that we would give to anybody else in a similar circumstance? Like we don't immediately rush in and start doing CPR on someone that is surprised or shocked about something. Like we're there to comfort them. We're there to give them space. We're there to help them handle their emotions, but we're not instantly in their face making sure that everything is okay. And I wonder when the disconnect happened, when the energy of this incredible feat, the energy of a baby coming into their body stopped mattering. And this is not a critique on anybody. I just really wonder when we stop treating babies as humans. <laughs> like babies are cherished, babies are loved, babies are talked to and dressed and made wonderful and they bring so much joy, but when did we stop treating them like they knew their own body? Like they knew the experiences were happening. Is it because we think they don't remember? Is, is that why? Is it because we think people can't remember? Simply because we don't think that the memories that we have around that time are important or remembered doesn't mean they didn't happen. I have been doing EMDR therapy and my very, my second session when we were going back along my timeline, I remember something from when my mom was in labor with me and I didn't know I knew it, but I knew it. So in this memory, I, I could feel what it felt like and I could remember what was happening and I specifically remember not wanting to come out and a lot of healing happened when we did go through and um, use the therapies and things to change that situation and help me process and help me process all of that but at the same time I did remember and I wish And I wish that we treated babies as if their memories mattered. It's like how many times have people told you that babies don't smile? 
Like, I think that is one of the most absurd things, saying that babies don't smile. Like, yes, their muscle systems are different than ours, and they don't have as much control as we do, but I have never believed that a baby isn't smiling. Like, they, they can control their arms and their eyes and their mouths, and why would we automatically assume that their spiritual intelligence is not high enough that we have to put down their smile as simply gas and i think in the grand scheme that's that's a big part of all of this too like we have decided that babies aren't in control because they're not fully formed humans and that gives us a disadvantage honestly it is not a stream of consciousness or knowledge that I think is benefiting to anybody. So in preparing this podcast, I got a few new books because I wanted to understand a little more why the transition for a newborn is so important and why I feel the energy of that same transition is important. And along the same lines of babies don't know what they're doing and do we really trust that babies know what they're doing, I um, got a book. It's called Babies Are Cosmic by Elizabeth Carmen and Neil Carmen. Um, and in reading this, there was just something that really stood out to me. Sherry Hawley is a midwife in the U.S., And she um, wrote this just really cool passage. Um, She has this special communication that she does with newborns. And in newborn exams, I talk to the babies and I tell them what I'm doing and make sure that they understand. But after reading this, I really want to change how I do this because not only does she treat them as a human that understands what's happening, but she actually makes them a part of all of this. So um, this is just a little excerpt from this book um, that Sherry describes. She says, every time I do a newborn exam, I dim the lights and make sure the room is warm. I support the baby's head in one hand while the baby rests on the mother's bed. I look the baby straight in the eyes and call them by name to get their attention. I say, I am going to examine you to make sure you are healthy. Can you help me? I'm gonna look inside your mouth. Open your mouth really big so I can see the roof of your mouth. I demonstrate by opening my mouth wide and then say, can you do that? Let's do it. She, and then she gives the baby several minutes to respond. It might take up to five minutes until the newborn figures out how to control their movements. But often the newborn stops and looks to the side, concentrates on what she needs, they need to do, and then looks back at me and cooperates. I praise them. Same, thi- same thing if I say, relax your knees and legs. I need to check your hips. Open your eyes so I can see the whites of your eyes. Newborns are so smart and understanding. It works every time. She started doing newborn exams like this just out of the blue. No one taught her how to do this. She just knew that these babies were smart. And when the first one happened and it worked, she just kept doing that. So she's done this new- the newborn exam this way for over 4,000 babies. And newborns are so receptive that they just answer. And I think that answered one of my big burning questions was, if we talk to the baby before 
really shoving resuscitation things on them, would they respond? What if they just aren't in their body yet? Would it be wrong to give them time to get into their body? If the cord is pulsing, if their heart is beating, if all of these things are happening, what is would be wrong with waiting an extra 30 seconds or a minute if all the other signs are fine for a baby to breathe on their own? Why are we rushing in and suctioning their mouth and suctioning their nose and trying to stimulate them and using ambu bags and using all of these other tools that we as providers have? Why are we rushing in to do that when in all honesty, most babies just need to come into their body. They need their soul to enter their body so that way they can decide if they want to live. And I think the energy of it is just so important. And the way that Sherry did these newborn exams just proves to me that babies know what they're doing and we are not giving them the credit that they deserve. And I would love to be able to see more transitions for newborns where everybody just waits patiently. Like, not with sitting on your hands, not doing anything if a baby truly is not okay. I'm just talking about the babies that are borderline or the babies that everything looks good but you're not really sure or any other situation and I think it is truly a gut thing if the energy of the room if the energy of the mother is calm and aware and instinctual why are we rushing in to interrupt that bond between the mother and the baby the one that the mom being the one that calls her baby's soul into their body like why are we in such a rush to mess with this perfectly normal transition simply because we think it's not okay. And in another book that I had, um, Sunny Carl, she wrote Sacred Birthing. And when I originally got this book, I thought it was incredibly out there. Um, I was pregnant with my third um, living baby and I was not feeling connected and prepared enough to birth him. And so this is one of the books that I got to help me connect a little more. And a lot of the ideas in here, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so not me that I kind of just read a little bit into it, stopped, put it away, and then I completely forgot about it. Well, when I was doing all of this um, research into the transition period, I picked this book back up again. And one of the things that she said really hit me and it has a lot and it's very very similar to what sherry said too um sunny she's talking about um pursuing wholeness for each newborn and she talks a lot about the spirit connection and the energy vibration and so many other things that happen from like even before conception until this baby's birth and um she says that, like, I'll, I'll just read this little part here. Um, 
She talks about how babies may sputter a bit or sneeze, but they're capable of clearing themselves. It's less intrusive to allow baby to clear themselves than to use a bulb in their throat. If it looks like too much work for her or if she sound or if they sound gargly and still not breathing si- and is still not breathing silently within two min- two mi- 10 minutes, then a bulb can help. But if you feel it helpful to use this, first tell the baby what you want to do in order to help them breathe. Remember, you are talking to a conscious being. And just that that one sentence, remember you are talking to a conscious being. Babies understand. They understand what they what we want them to do. They they understand that their body needs to transition from this water world to an air world. Their body knows how to do that unless there are extenuating circumstances, but their body knows how to do this. And every time we think about interfering, are are we telling that baby that we don't trust them? Are we giving them that memory to look back on saying that we don't believe that they can do it, which then in turn can mess with them down the road in their life. Just like the memory that I had that I did not want to come out. Like I was too much. I was not ready. There were, there were so many things happening and I didn't want to be here. Are we giving babies memories like that, that they in turn have to deal with as they get older? Are we putting our own fears and insecurities and our own traumas on these brand new babies? Like we're not even talking about a baby that's six months old. We are talking about a baby in the first minutes of their life. Are we putting these emotions on this tiny human simply because we are scared that we don't understand it? And I know that we're never really going to have the answers for this, and I'm okay with that. I just want us to question it. I want us to question why we do things. I want us to question routine practices. I want us to question why we handle babies so roughly. Why we treat them like they don't know what they're doing. Why we have so many things to help fix them when in truth, many of them probably don't even need to be fixed. And just in closing, there's just one more little thing here. Um, Sonny Carl had one more um, incredible quote that I just need to have hanging on my wall. Um, she, she says, you are a midwife. Do good without show or fuss. Facilitate what is happening, not what you think ought to be happening. And I could put my own spin on all of that, but I think it just sits on its own. And I just want us to think a little more about why we're doing what we're doing, how it affects the baby, how it affects the pregnant person and the birthing person and the postpartum person, like how it affects everything. And if you have any questions on this or if you want to talk, 
send me a message. I would love that. Like, I would love to talk more about this with people and truly see what other people think about this because it's just such a fascinating topic um, for me. So if you do want to reach out, um, my website is Moon Tree Midwifery. Uh, that's just my business name, Moon Tree Midwifery. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, same name. And you can email me, um, you can message me on Facebook. And I, I just, I would love to talk to people about this. And if you ever want to be on the show, uh, on this podcast, let me know. I'm hoping to like get this a bit bigger now that I have some pretty cool topics planned. And I think you all are amazing. And I think this world is ready for a lot of these hard topics and questions. So thank you so much for listening. And I hope to hear from you guys soon. Mm-hmm.